In this chapter, we have God's promise and power toward his people and Israel's rebellion against God and their evil. These given to us as a remedy for self-righteousness or confidence in our own deeds. Hear now the reading of God's holy word, Deuteronomy chapter 9, starting at verse 1. Hear, O Israel, thou art to pass over Jordan this day to go in to possess nations greater and mightier than thyself, cities great and fenced up to heaven, a people great and tall, the children of the Anakims, whom thou knowest, and of whom thou hast heard say, Who can stand before the children of Anak? Understand therefore this day, That the Lord thy God is he which goeth over before thee as a consuming fire, he shall destroy them, and he shall bring them down before thy face. So shalt thou drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord hath said unto thee. Speak not thou in thine heart, after that the Lord thy God hath cast them out from before thee, saying, For my righteousness. The Lord hath brought me in to possess this land. But for the wickedness of these nations, the Lord doth drive them out from before thee. Not for thy righteousness or for the uprightness of thine heart dost thou go to possess their land. But for the wickedness of these nations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. And that he may perform the word which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Understand therefore that the Lord thy God giveth thee not this good land to possess it for thy righteousness, for thou art a stiff-necked people. Remember and forget not how thou provokest the Lord thy God to wrath in the wilderness, from the day that thou didst depart out of the land of Egypt until ye came unto this place, ye have been rebellious against the Lord. And in Horeb ye provoked the Lord to wrath, so that the Lord was angry with you to have destroyed you. When I was gone up into the mount to receive the tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant which the Lord made with you, then I abode in the mount forty days and forty nights." I neither did eat bread nor drink water, and the Lord delivered unto me two tables of stone, written with the finger of God, and on them was written according to all the words which the Lord spake with you in the mount, out of the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And it came to pass at the end of forty days and forty nights that the Lord gave me the two tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant. And the Lord said unto me, Arise, get thee down quickly from hence, for thy people which thou hast brought forth out of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They are quickly turned aside out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten image. Furthermore, the Lord spake unto me, saying, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Let me alone, that I may destroy them. And blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make of thee a nation mightier and greater than they. So I turned and came down from the mount, and the mount burned with fire, and the two tables of the covenant were in my two hands, and I looked, and behold, ye had sinned against the Lord your God, 
and had made you a molten calf. Ye had turned aside quickly out of the way which the Lord had commanded you. And I took the two tables and cast them out of my two hands and break them before your eyes. And I fell down before the Lord as at the first forty days and forty nights. I did neither eat bread nor drink water because of all your sins which ye sinned in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure wherewith the Lord was wroth against you to destroy you. But the Lord hearkened unto me at that time also. And the Lord was very angry with Aaron to have destroyed him. And I prayed for Aaron also the same time. And I took your sin, the calf which ye had made, and burnt it with fire, and stamped it, and ground it very small, even until it was as small as dust. And I cast the dust thereof into the brook that descended out of the mount. And at Taberah, and at Massah, and at Kibroth Hatavah, ye provoked the Lord to wrath. Likewise, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and possess the land which I have given you, then ye rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God, and believed him not, nor hearkened to his voice. Ye have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. Thus I fell down before the Lord forty days and forty nights, as I fell down at the first, because the Lord had said he would destroy you. I prayed therefore unto the Lord, and said, O Lord God, destroy not thy people and thine inheritance, which thou hast redeemed through thy greatness, which thou hast brought forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember thy servants, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Look not unto the stubbornness of this people, nor to their wickedness, nor to their sin. Lest the land whence thou broughtest us out say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land which he promised them, and because he hated them, he hath brought them out to slay them in the wilderness. Yet they are thy people and thine inheritance, which thou broughtest out by thy mighty power and by thy stretched out arm. Thus far the reading of God's holy word from Deuteronomy 9. May the Lord bless us in the reading and hearing of it. A few comments on this most important passage, verses 1 through 6. We have a warning against self-righteousness from God's power and the fulfillment of his promise. Verse 1 tells us that they were going in to possess nations. This means to inherit, to receive something as a gift, like a testament, where you are an heir of some good thing. God says these nations were their inheritance. He says, verse 3, that he would go before them, though they feared the Anakims, and destroy and consume their adversaries, mighty and strong, with great cities. God would destroy them and throw them down in front of their faces, he says. God's vengeance is a curse to the wicked, but a blessing to his people. Christ, as our king, secures the overthrow of his and our enemies. His vengeance will come, but it will be for the good of his people. God, in verse 4, then rebukes them and says, Speak not thou in thine heart. Literally, this means don't even begin to say this in your heart. Don't even let the thought start within you that somehow my righteousness caused God 
to give me this inheritance. Do you remember the rich young ruler? When he came to Jesus, what did he ask him? What good thing shall I do that I may, what? Inherit. He sees it as an inheritance gifted by God, but he sees it as contingent on his own works. So did Israel. God says, don't even begin to think this, that somehow it's by grace and by works. Your righteousness plus God's testament somehow give you the inheritance. No. God's saying, don't begin to think this. This doctrine that I observe, we offer nothing in God's testaments, but the sins that make the blood of that testament necessary. We don't offer some goodness, some faith, some work, whereby God is moved to save us. No. God, in His almighty grace, sees us in our sins and rebellion, and yet calls us into the fellowship of His Son. Let us then, as God commands, mortify the thought before it occurs to us. Let us reject what is sometimes known as semi-Pelagianism. I'm sort of half good, half bad. I cooperate with the grace of God, and my cooperation gives me the inheritance. No, don't even begin to think this, God says. You are a rebellious and a stiff-necked people. You deserve nothing but my wrath. And here is the proof. And God goes through the scriptures and their history again and again to prove to them and to prove to us, it is not for thy righteousness or the uprightness of thine heart dost thou go to possess their land. This is a repetition again in verse 5. God repeats himself to make the point abundantly clear. Now think with me. The land of Canaan is a type of our heavenly inheritance, isn't it? And God says in this earthly inheritance of Canaan, you can't even get that by your own righteousness. Now if you couldn't get the lesser by your own righteousness or cooperation with the grace of God, could you get the greater? Could you have the heavenly inheritance no sin dwells there. Could you get in by your works if they couldn't even get into Canaan by theirs? Well, to ask the question is to answer it. Of course not. They couldn't get the type. We can't get the anti-type. But rather, he says, verse 5, that he may perform the word which the Lord swear unto thy fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Here's the answer. Why is it that we inherit? Because God has made an oath by his own self he has sworn that he will perform the grace that he has designed for his people. God has appointed heirs in this testament, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He's appointed successors in the testament, namely their children. He has appointed an inheritance, the land and God himself as their inheritance. And then who gets the credit? God does. God does it all. From the beginning to the end, it is all of grace now, I, I note then that though there are covenantal aspects to God's way of salvation, it is fundamentally a testament. God swears. God causes a death to take place, like the death of the Lamb. And that secures for you your redemption, the inheritance, and all the things leading up to it. God, from first to last, appoints us as his heirs we freely inherit. We have no works that we can perform. We're stiff-necked and rebellious. And so God, by his grace, saves. Again, God repeats in verse 6, thou art a stiff-necked people. And some would say, well, yeah, he's talking about the Jews. Of course, they're stubborn people. But we Gentiles, we're not stubborn and stiff-necked like them. Uh, yes, we are, in fact. The apostle Paul in Romans 3 
verses 9 through 20, proves the very thing, taking from the stiff-necked people of the Jews and saying, so likewise are all men by nature. We are a stiff-necked people as well. Our self-righteousness must be beaten down to the ground. Then God exhorts the people to recall in verses 7 through 29 their grievous rebellions, Moses' intercession, God's deliverance, and his mercy to his people. Notice there verse 7. God says, remember and forget not. Wasn't that pretty much the same thing? Yes, it is. It's a device used to re-emphasize the grand importance of not letting this slip out of your mind. Verse 7, he says, from the day that thou didst depart out of the land of Egypt. If you could go back to the beginning of when God began to save you and ask yourself, how long have I been rebellious? Well, it's the whole time, isn't it? All the way from the beginning of your redemption, you have resisted the Lord. You have been rebellious against the Lord. This word means to be ungovernable, to be obstinate, to be unruly to be perverse in your opposition. Now ask yourself, God is a sovereign Lord. He has a rebellious people. Do they deserve his grace? Do they deserve the inheritance? That's his point. You don't deserve anything but my judgment. That's what he's saying. You have earned nothing but death. I note then that the Mosaic dispensation was most emphatically not a covenant of works. You remember God made a covenant with Adam? And the day he ate thereof, he would surely die. Is this the same covenant he's making here with Israel? No. Did they die in the first day that they rebelled against God? No, he saved them time and time again. A gracious testament designed and enforced by God. They did not earn the land, but rather they earned God's wrath. Let us then not accept the subtlety and error of the wicked who pretend that somehow salvation was by some different method in the days of Moses as it is now in the days of Christ. Moses then refers in verse 9 to the tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant which the Lord made with you. This covenant that God made, again, the statutes are given to them as their inheritance. God is pictured as the one who gives the gift. I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt. I'm your redeemer. Therefore, reflect the family image. Since you've been adopted into my household, he says, this is how you must live. And God wrote these commandments with his almighty power, written with the finger of God, a unique and perpetual law. Now, God is speaking to us in the rest of the Bible. Don't get that mistaken. Of course, the whole Bible is God's word. But the Ten Commandments, in a unique way, are God's writing directly rather than through instruments as the prophets and apostles. He goes on here, and God reminds them of their, you might say, first major rebellion. And that was the golden calf. Verse 12, they corrupted themselves... They're quickly turned aside out of the way which I commanded them and have made them a molten image. This word corrupted is like food that spoils or a carcass that rots. That's what they've done to themselves, he says. God had a way of commandments. Images corrupt that way. Man becomes corrupt, rotted, and spoiled 
Because God designs worship to go up to God, not down to creatures. You see this in Acts 17. God has not made man who is the offspring of God to worship gold and silver or the device of men. You also find this in the early church fathers when they encountered the Romans with all of their gods and all of their images and their incense and their altars. And they will say, well, shouldn't you honor the sculptor rather than the sculpture itself? Isn't the man who creates the image more honorable than the image? Why don't you worship the sculptor rather than his image? It's absurd. Where there is an image, there is no religion. And these people bring in a carved image and they call it by the name Jehovah. That's what Aaron said. This is Jehovah your God. Worship according to this manner. This was a corruption of the worship of God, Satan causing men to worship downward rather than upward. He goes on, verses 15 through 17, Moses gives with the two tables, he gives an, an account of his coming down with the tables in his hand, seeing their disobedience. He casts and destroys the two tables. And then verse 21, he says, I took your sin, the calf which ye had made, and burnt it with fire and stamped it and ground it very small, even until it was as small as dust. Now, this is what we saw in Deuteronomy 7, was it not? God said, when you see the image, what should you do to it? Break it in pieces, burn it with fire, cut down the trees, destroy their altars, take down their obelisks, Don't let it stand. All the monuments of idolatry must be destroyed. Here God says, in commendation of Moses, this is what he did. He ground it to powder. He brought it down to small dust. Then God reminds them of Taberah, Massa, and Kibroth Hatavah. You can read about Taberah in Numbers 11, verses 1 through 3. They complained against God and were judged by a burning fire. Masa is Exodus 17, 1 through 7. You remember they grumbled for water. We have no water to drink. God caused the rock to be smitten, that rock being a type of Christ, and water flowed forth to save the people. Christ was smitten, and his eternal life comes forth. Then we have Kibroth Hatavah, which means the graves of those who were lusting. They weren't content with manna. They wanted flesh to eat. And so God judged them for their discontent and their lust and prepared graves for them. Then verse 23, he reminds them of their other rebellion when they were commanded to go up and possess the land. God had given them and they rebelled against his commandment, he says. Numbers 13 verse 1 through 14 verse 5, you can read this whole account at your leisure. They did not believe God. They did not embrace his promise. They did not obey his commandment. They did not listen carefully because they did not believe what he said. Now, again, why is God bringing all these things to their attention? To prove one point very clearly. It is not for your righteousness. It is not for the uprightness of your heart. It's not because of something you did. The inheritance that you receive is purely of God's grace. As a judgment against the heathens, he's dispossessing them for their wickedness. But what do you have? You have wickedness too. But God pardons your sins. God does not hold them down against you. This is gospel preaching by Moses to the people of Israel. They sinned. They deserve nothing. And then notice more gospel. Moses prayed unto the Lord. 
and said, verse 26, O Lord God, destroy not thy people and thine inheritance. What is Moses? He's a prophet, isn't he? And he's a priest. And he is a type of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who is it that delivers us from the wrath of God? None other than our Lord Jesus Christ. By making intercession for us, he causes us to inherit the eternal kingdom. So Moses, by his intercession, caused the people of Israel to inherit their earthly possession. Sinners need a mediator. They have no works to offer to God. They have no uprightness of heart. Our only hope is through a greater than Moses, even through our Lord Jesus Christ, a mediator without spot, holy, harmless, undefiled, separated from sinners. We need the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Flee then to Jesus Christ. Would you be saved from the wrath of God? Turn to his righteousness, not to your own. Verse 27, notice Moses pleads again, remember thy servants Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why, why mention them? Why do they come up? Because those are the ones God made promise to. And those who descended from them were made heirs because they were united with them. Who is it that we inherit through? Well, the scriptures are clear. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. He is the elder brother who inherits all. And we who are united to Christ, we inherit all in him. We must plead then the merits of Christ, the promise to Christ, his righteousness and obedience. Did Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have obedience and righteousness that they could plead? Not before God. Rather, they, like us, are justified by believing they in Christ to come, we in Christ who has yet already come. Notice also in verses 28 and 29, Moses reminds the Lord of his glory the honor of his name. The people of Egypt would say God hated them and couldn't bring them into the land. That's why they failed to make it. God's glory and name were at stake. And when we pray to God, we must pray in like manner. God, your glory is at stake. You have promised these things. Please, Lord, fulfill them for your own honor and glory. For the expansion of the righteous truth of God to all nations fulfill your holy words. Then notice he says in verse 29 that they were the people of God and the inheritance of God. This is a figure of speech by which those who inherit are called the inheritance itself. They were the heirs of God. They were joint heirs with Christ. God had chosen. God had called. God had saved. And so it is with us. Amen. Let us join together in a prayer of confession of sin to the Lord.